A couple of weeks ago, we were finishing up the, the um, stewardship series, and as we were doing that, um, God challenged some of us to reach out and to do something for someone else. Uh, you know, we, we told you, you know, look to encourage someone to see how you can reach out, help somebody and, and, and encourage someone. Many of you stood and I prayed for God to guide you and, um, and, you know, and, and to help you as you were doing that, as you were reaching out in some way. Now, I'm not going to ask you to say anything, you know, now, so let me remove that, um, that intimidation off the plate for you right now. But I, I am kind of curious, wondering how many of you have been able to follow through and uh, and do what God has laid on your heart. Just kind of stick your hand up there. You've been able to follow through and do what God has laid on your heart. That's good. That's good. We'll keep praying that God will um, continue to open those doors because I really hope that it's not just a one-time, not just a one-time thing. I hope that it is really something that becomes more of a of a lifestyle for us of seeing where God uh, is calling us to be involved, and then not only being willing to be involved, but doing something about it you realize there's a difference between being willing and then actually doing it you know you, you, you can be willing to do something and sit there and not do anything while well, somebody would question whether you were actually willing or not but uh, the reality is then we need to get up and do something uh, and one of the things I've noticed for myself is helping you know encouraging others uh, often helps us to rejoice as well uh, we you know to say we get more out of it than they do sometimes is very true uh, you know, it, it's very true. Um, you know, particularly if um, you know, if if uh, to say they're oblivious to what you did, uh, they may not know that it's you who did it. You know, and and that's okay. Uh, God's allowed me to help some uh, in, in those ways sometimes, uh, where you know it's no, nobody knew that it was me who did something. There's other times where you know it's a little more direct, and you're you're there, uh, but it always. In all those, in all of those instances, whether it was, uh, you know, known or not, um, it was known to me and it was known to God and God used that to help me to rejoice, you know, getting a blessing out of, out of helping others. Uh, today we're going to continue our look in Philippians under the theme, in this I rejoice. There's a lot of ways that, um, that help us to rejoice. We're going to, we're going to look a little bit more and what Paul says as he's writing to the Philippians here. But let me pray, and then we're going to turn to our passage and continue on in our look in Philippians here. Uh, Father, I thank you for, well, we've been talking about the opportunities where we have had to reach out to others. You've allowed us to be ministers for you, and for that we're grateful. But, Lord, I, I was just thinking, too, of the time people have reached out to me and encouraged me and lifted me up because they were obedient to you. And it gave me the opportunity to rejoice in your love as well as in the love of others. I pray that you will continue to open our minds and our hearts as we've been looking and reading your word. I ask that you would now help to make it real in our lives, not just something that we can have in our heads, but something that works out through our very being. We're looking at things that you've called us to be as people. The doing really should flow from that being, Lord. So help it to, uh, help us to be more transformed by your grace and power, by your mercy, that we might be those then who, who live lives that, where we can truly say, um, in this I rejoice, in what you have allowed us to do and to be. 
and the forgiveness that is ours, and Lord, that should radiate from us in so many different ways, but that we might be able to um, help others rejoice is just an added blessing. So teach us from your word this morning that the things that we see wouldn't uh, wouldn't fall by the wayside, but would be invested, well, you are investing in us, that it might produce this crop now, even beyond our wildest expectations, for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to continue in Philippians chapter 1. If you want to turn there, uh, last week, you know, I told you to turn there, and we had all the verses on the screen. All of the verses will not be on the screen today, so um, you know, I, I'm going to read through this still in sections and stopping to look as we go along uh, because that's just, again, kind of how God's unfolded these things for me. And uh, so we'll do that as I share with you. Uh, but again, they won't be on the screen, all of them. So I'd encourage you to open up uh, to Philippians chapter 1, page 1080 in the Pew Bible. I'm going to begin in verse 12. We looked at verses 1 through 11 last week. Uh, starting in verse 12. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for the cause of Christ. Now there's where we're going to pause for just a minute here. Paul is viewing his situation. Notice how he's looking at his situation. He says here, you know, that I, what I, I see what's happened, he says, has been for the advancement of the gospel. You know, and as I was looking at that, you know, and that, that's the phrase there that got my attention because I was looking at that and I was thinking, you know, we probably most often when we look at a situation, we look at it on how it affects us. You know, that, that, that's kind of how we look at it. We look at it as what happens to me because of this. You know, you, you know that um, you you know you uh, you can't you can't uh, do something you're supposed to do. So then, what happens to me because you can't do this? Um, you, you're going to come. You call up and you say, "Well, you know, I'm on my way over." Well, then, what happens to me in my schedule because? Uh, and we begin <coughs> we begin to look most often at how these things affect us. And what comes on, you know, and what happens to it and how it affects us as opposed to how it affects the gospel. What happens to me? How something affects the gospel has at least two major implications. There certainly could be more, but two of them that I was thinking of. The first one there is how does this affect others coming to know Jesus? When you think of how something has, you know, for the advancement of the gospel. When you think of the advancement of the gospel, probably this is one of the things that most often comes to mind. How does it affect me sharing the gospel with someone else? And how does it affect that person, you know, coming to know Jesus? Now, rest assured, God is not chasing people away from him. You understand that? God is not chasing people away from himself. You know, so, you know, sometimes we think, here's Paul, and Paul's in prison. And he's sharing that with them, you know, and he, what does he say? This, this was a good thing, he says in the sense of it serves for the advancement of the gospel. 
Others might look at it and say, well, this is terrible. You know, this is terrible. You know, here's, here's Paul, the guy who was doing all this preaching, teaching, the guy who was reaching out and sharing with others, the guy who was, who was letting others know who Jesus is, and now he's in prison. And Paul says, hey, you know, guess, this is really, this is work for the advancement of the gospel. Others are, others are coming to know, you know, others are coming to know who Jesus is. But another thing when I, when I was thinking of the advancement of the gospel is how does this affect me being guided by the gospel? It's not just reaching out to others. It's also how is this affecting me being guided by the gospel? Because, you see, it is still my source for guidance, you know, or, or have I turned from it? Has what happened to me caused me to turn a little away from the gospel? Or is it advancing in my life? Is what's happened to me drawing me closer to God, helping me to see more of God's direction in my life? Or is it something, you know, is the gospel no longer advancing in me because I'm too consumed by the situation, by what's going on? I think both of these are, are extremely important implications for the advance of the gospel, that others come and that I grow. You know, the, there are times when we may not understand why something is going as it is at the moment. You know, there, there certainly will, there will be those times and we just don't get it while it's going how it is at the moment. But God is still God. You understand? God is still God. He is still con- in control and He is for us, not against us. Read Romans chapter 8. Part of it says, You know, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Pretty encouraging, isn't it? No, in all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded not either death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, affliction, anguish, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, death, slaughter, hostile powers? What is all of this? I signed up for happy-go-lucky Christianity. Not not this affliction, anguish, death, and slaughter stuff. I signed up for the happy-go-lucky Christianity. I don't want all of this other stuff, all these other things that he's talking about here. I don't want any of that. But he says here, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So don't walk away from it. The situation you will find yourself in is not the one that will separate you from the love of God. So don't walk away from the love of God. Don't allow the situation to dull your awareness of the reality of God's love. That can happen to us. The situation where and it, and it, it dulls us to the, to the awareness of the reality of God's love. Because notice what it says. It is found in Christ Jesus our Lord, not in the situation. It is not in the situation because, you know what? Affliction, anguish, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, death, slot, hostile, those are not encouraging. Those 
only should serve to help us see more the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord, not in the situation. If you want to be able to rejoice in any situation, then don't let the situation dull your awareness of Christ Jesus. Don't let that situation dull your awareness of Christ Jesus. Paul says, I want you to know what's happened to me has actually resulted in the advancement of the gospel. More people are coming to know, and I am coming to know more of, God, of Christ. He says, it is happening both ways. Everyone was aware of Paul's situation, and they were aware that Paul's situation included Christ. The situation did not deny Jesus' presence, but it served to make it obvious. It served to make it maybe even more obvious. He was exposed to a whole new group of people, so others were coming to know. He was coming to see and to learn that even more experientially that God is with him no matter what that situation is. We can't see the whole picture that we're a part of. And we may not see the results of the situation that we're in. But we can begin to anticipate God working. You get it? Even though we, even though we don't, we don't see the connection sometimes, what we can do is we can begin to anticipate God working. Why? Because nothing can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord, not in the situation. There are certainly some situations where, you know, you just really feel the love of God, you know, and it's just kind of pouring out at you. And, and those are good. But, you know, there's other times in which what's pouring out at us feels more like, you know, hot lava, you know, and, and, and we just, we're, we're just not, we're not, we're, we're not quite seeing the love because we're looking at the hot lava. We're looking at the situation. That's not where the love of God is found. The love of God is always found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even in those times where you just are sensing the love of God, you know, coming from that situation, it's still from Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not, it's, it, if it's tied to the situation, you're going to be a miserable person. Because the situation sometimes stinks, affliction, nakedness, danger of sort. Sometimes the situation is, is just horrible. When Paul was arrested, and it wasn't a good thing, we get, you know, we get in our minds now thinking of, of what it's like to be arrested here in the United States. Not that it's a picnic. Uh, you know, I've been to Allen County Jail, and I just, I think to myself sometimes, why would you want to come back here? I just don't, I, personally, I just don't get it. I you know I've been there to visit people and to talk with people and, and stuff, and, and I just, I, you know, to me, it's a deterrent, you know. That place is a deterrent, but that place is, you know, it's the Hilton Hotel compared to what, you know, the prison that, that Paul finds himself in. Yeah, and, and, and not, not a pleasant situation. And here, so he finds himself, you know, in prison. He didn't know it was going to result in the gospel being known throughout the whole imperial guard. Some of the translations say the praetorium, uh, the, the place where, where, you know, where the Roman officials really hung out more than just the more than just the the, the soldiers but you know it, it's kind of where it was if kind of a, a governmental building that was unexpected you know and paul saw god working in ways he didn't expect let's pick up verse 14 
says, most of the brothers in the Lord have gained confidence from my imprisonment and dare even to speak, even more to speak the message fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and strife, but others out of goodwill. Uh, these do so out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerity, seeking to cause me anxiety in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just that in every way, whether out of false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Now, you know, let's pause for a minute there, because what I see here is how we respond to this situation will affect others. No matter what your situation is, how you respond to the situation will affect others. It'll affect others who know you, and it'll affect others who only see us. Those who know us, it will have an effect on them, and those who only see us, it will have an effect on them. Our response will either encourage them or discourage them. You know, sometimes without saying a word, we either lift people up or pull people down. You know, and just by the way we go through some things, seeing somebody stand for the Lord, particularly in an uncomfortable situation, you know, seeing someone stand for the Lord like that, it can give confidence to others to stand for the Lord. He uses that word confidence. Confidence, the word that he uses there, it signifies to dare to do or to bear something terrible or difficult. Something terrible or difficult. It's easy to have confidence when things are going well because, again, we're basing it on a situation. But when a situation stinks, you see, it's, it's, that, it's, that, it's, it's not shunning something through fear. It's, it's daring to, to do it, to bear it, something terrible or difficult. We cannot, we cannot control the responses people have to how we handle a situation. Some are going to be motivated to live more for God as they watch how we handle the situation. As they watch how we go through something, some people will be motivated, you know, and, and, you know, they'll say, well, he can do it, I can do it. I mean, look at him, if he can do it, I can do it. You know, I mean, that's, uh, when I, I, I remember running marathons, you know, and I was the encourager for others that if he can do it, I can do it. Look at that guy. Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, that, that's when, when we, we see other people, when we see other people standing for God in tough situations, it can be a, a, a huge encouragement for us. When we see how they handle the situation, that they handle it in a godly manner, yeah, and and you know, and, and others though, unfortunately, they're going to choose to put us down because they'll hold us to a higher standard than they'll hold themselves to. You see, sometimes that's what they do. That can't change it. Notice Paul's view of these responses. He says, "What does it matter?" What does it matter that just in every way, whether out of false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed? Paul's response was, it, it, so what? As long as Christ is proclaimed. Some people may be doing, you know, may have been telling others, you know, to, and using Paul as this bad example. But he says, you know, if others are coming to know Christ, you know, that's a good thing. Paul's focus was on others coming to know Jesus. We cannot control others people, other people's response to how we handle a situation, but we can control how we respond to the situation. Before I knew about the tumors in my head, I had read a, a, a booklet by John Piper. 
Uh, John Piper is a pastor. Is he retired now? I think he did. He's pastor emeritus. At any rate, he was a, a pastor of a big church, and uh, he's kind of an influential guy. But he's written a lot of things. The, what I remembered him writing was, don't waste your cancer. That's what I remember reading this book. Don't waste your cancer. He wrote it. He wrote it originally as an addendum to a book he was working on, but he did it on the night before his own cancer surgery and what God was teaching him. I, to be honest, I really don't remember a whole lot about the article, about the article itself, but I could not forget the title. I just couldn't get away from that title. You know, don't, don't waste your cancer. So when I was having, I was having my radiation treatments, uh, they would lock me in this big room, uh, with this machine. They clo- the door was, I don't know, the door, it seems to me that door was about eight feet wide and ten feet tall, but it was this thick. And it looked like the, the vault door for, uh, for a bank. So they take me in this room that was, uh, is probably at least about the size of the platform here. And they take me in this room and they, you know, I lay down on this table and they strap my head to the table and they leave the room and I could hear those things. I could hear them locking that door, you know, and boom, those things go. And then they would shoot radiation at me for 45 minutes. And, you know, as, as I was sitting there, you know, with my head fastened to the table for 45 minutes, they said, you know, we, what do you want to listen to on the radio? You know, they could, they can talk to me and things. And they could pipe it in. They said, we have whatever you want, satellite radio, any station you want, whatever. What do you want? What would you like to listen to? I didn't know anything for satellite radio or anything like that. I chose, I chose a, a local Christian station. I said, you know, that's what I'd like to listen to, you know. So I'm laying on this table, you know, and they're shooting this stuff at me for 45 minutes and, and the Christian music is playing and, and things. And it was at Christmas time. So they were playing a lot of Christmas music. and um, I would have, for most of my treatments, the first ones, I had the same tech each time, the same person who would come in, you know, and, and strap my head down on that, fasten my head down to the table and all this stuff, and put on, you know, the radio station for me and things. Um, well, it turns out that then that also has to be what they're listening to. And she told me, I think it was about my fourth treatment, she told me, she said, you know, my husband and I have started listening to that station now. I never met her husband. I have never seen this woman again. I have no idea, you know, if if they continued listening to the Christian radio station. I do know that they weren't listening to it before, and they were listening to it at least then. I don't know if they did or not, but one of the things, you know, that, that I could do is, you know, just be able to rejoice in the fact that God had given me the opportunity to bump somebody a little bit closer to Jesus. You know, she didn't come in, you know, she didn't unlock the door and come running in and say, oh, man of God, you know, please tell me the way. That's never what happened, but you know the you know the, to that opportunity to bump someone a little closer. We cannot control how others will respond to our situation, but we can control how we will respond to our situation. You know, we can respond from a life that has been changed by the gospel. We can respond from a life that has been changed. 
by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because Jesus Christ died for my sins, was buried you know, for my sins, showing and proving his death, and was raised again to new life, what difference does that make in my life in this situation? You know, is our response from a life changed by the gospel? When it is, when your response is from a life changed by the gospel, you can rejoice. Let's move on. Verse 18. Again, we're going to start there because it, I didn't finish reading verse 18 the first time. It says, what does it matter? Just as in every way, whether out of false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice because I know that this will lead to my deliverance through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, uh, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm pressured by both. I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of me, your confidence may grow in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Now we're going to pause there. You know, it's, it's easy to say that going to be with the Lord is better, and it is, but it's easier to say that when you're in a good spot and not facing the possibility of death. Paul was in prison. He was facing the possibility of death. It's a little more challenging to say that when you're facing that. Now, that's the process that gets us into his presence. You know, and a well-known personality once said, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. And, you know, we, you know, we could, we can kind of identify with this. Notice what Paul said. For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. You see, Paul didn't see his situation, he didn't see his imprisonment as any reason to change the focus of his life. The situation was no reason to change the focus of his life. It was still Christ. It was still what Jesus had done for him. The gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ was still that focus of his life. He was still motivated and guided by the fact of what Christ had done for him. The gospel and making Christ known. The only thing that changed for Paul here was the venue. It was no longer that he could do it right there in the presence of the Philippians. Now he was in jail. The venue changed, but, but the, 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 the call of his life, the focus of his life did not change. The focus of his life was still, uh, was still on, on Christ and on making him known. Notice what he says. He says, you know, to, to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. And he says, you know, well, because of me, your confidence may grow in Christ Jesus. No matter what the situation was, Paul was determined that he was going to live with his focus on Christ and live for the betterment of the others. That's a choice that we can make too. You know, we can make that. No matter the situation, we determine to live our life for the good of others. No matter the situation. 
No matter what's going on, we are going to determine that we are going to live our life for the betterment of others so that others might come to know Jesus Christ. Paul was in prison. He would rather have been able to go and see the Philippians here. Now, even though he couldn't, he was still going to live for their good. Even though he couldn't go see them, he was still going to live for their good. That's the situation he was in did not change that. He also, you know, lived so that those who guarded him, those who worked in the Roman government there would be able to come closer to Jesus. He lived for their good as well. For the Philippians as well as all those who were around him and guarding him. How you handle a situation, how you handle every situation is having an influence on your family, on your neighbors, on your co-workers. You know, all of those who see you respond and see you react to whatever you're in the midst of and all of them who see how you react and respond to those things, you are having an impact on them. Live for their good even when the situation changes. You know, continue to live for their good, guided by the gospel. You know, good here is talking about getting them closer to Jesus, guided by the gospel. Let's pick up again, verse 27. Just one thing, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of the destruction of destruction for them, but of your deliverance. And this is from God. For it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not to only believe in him, but also to suffer for him, having the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. See, Paul has said over and over again, you know, we have at least six times here that Paul mentions the importance of the gospel, mentions, you know, Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. Verse 12, he talks about the advancement of the gospel. In verse 16, he talks about the defense of the gospel. In verse 17, he says that others proclaim Christ, you know, and the reality of what Christ has done. Verse 18, he says Christ is proclaimed. What he has done has been proclaimed. Verse 27, he says, you know, he talks here about the gospel of Christ, and he says the faith that comes from the gospel now the first part of verse 27 there is a great value to live by you know a great way to help you decide you know about any activity any commitment any direction any motivation just one thing live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of christ great direction for anything you're anything that you're going through in life ask yourself is this worthy of the gospel Is this attitude that I have worthy of the gospel? Is my response to what just happened worthy of the gospel? Is what I said, is how I said it worthy of the gospel? Is my involvement in this activity worthy of the gospel? Am I going through and living all of these things? Am I showing that my life is changed, that my life is guided, that my life is grounded on the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for me? Is that being reflected in what I do? 
I was looking at all of this and asking, you know, what ties this all together? You know, and what's the broader outlook, you know, of the call to rejoice? And here's what God seemed to be telling me. You will rejoice when you look for God in ways you don't expect and didn't anticipate. Pastor Kent and I were talking about this this week. He says, how can you do that? You know, how can you, know, when, you when you don't expect it, you know, uh, um, to me, it just kind of seems there, to, you know, to tie all of our points together. So how can we apply this each day? In any and every situation, how can we do this? Now, I'm going to suggest five ways. I think all of them are related to these verses. It's simply an application of what we already looked at. Now, tell you what, we'll do two things here. I'll talk slower, you write faster. And then we'll, we'll, we'll be able, we'll be able to do this. All, all I'm doing, all I'm doing here on, on these five is simply applying in a practical way, I think, what we already looked at. Number one, begin by getting your eyes off the situation and onto the gospel. Now that would be both the gospel to others as well as the, the, the change that the gospel has brought about in me. So when we're saying, you know, to get your eyes off of that situation and onto the gospel, it is both of those ways. And how how does what I'm going through, how can that help others come to know Christ? And also, in what I'm going through, the situation that I'm facing, how is it, you know, what changes has the gospel brought about in me? Number two, look for the new opportunities in your situation. But keep being guided by the gospel in your life, even if you don't see the opportunities. You may not see the opportunities, but what is happening to you and your response is being seen by others, and you may not know the outcome. Think about it. You have been touched by other people who weren't speaking directly to you that you just saw or you just heard about going and what they were going through and you've never maybe never even met them face to face and your life was changed by how they faced those things realize there are new opportunities you may not see them you know you may not see them look for them but realize you may not see them you keep going though realizing that God is still using those things number 3 respond from a life that has been changed by the gospel if you have a if you have a relationship you know with Jesus then your life has been changed by the life death burial and resurrection of Christ now i will tell you if your life has not been changed if your life has not been changed by the gospel if your life has not been changed by the death burial and resurrection of Christ then you may not have the relationship you think you have because that changes life that changes us Number four, live like your next step will be into eternity with God. I am very confident I can guarantee you this. One day it will be. One day it will be. And I would rather step into eternity, you know, in the midst of obeying God, in the midst of living, you know, with the gospel, than step into eternity while I was chasing my own priorities. I remember a story was told about uh, St. Francis of Assisi, and uh, he was weeding his garden. And as he was out weeding his garden, and someone went by and said, Francis, what are you doing? 
You know, what, what are you doing? What would you, be, what would you be doing if you knew that tomorrow, you know, that you were going to be in the presence of Jesus? What is it you'd be doing? And Francis looked at him and said, I'd be weeding my garden. Live in such a way that you, you know, you're not going to have to correct something. That doesn't mean that you don't do some of these other things. It doesn't mean that you're always up on a soapbox telling people about Jesus. But it does mean, you know, that no matter what it is you're doing and no matter what situation you find yourself in, as you're being responsible for living the life that God has called you to and that God has guided you to, as you're living that, I didn't talk slower, did I? That you're, that you're, you know, that you are, are being guided by the gospel, by the reality of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection because you're a sinner. Number five, make the gospel your priority. Always. Always. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, live under the influence and the direction of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And when you do that, then you will rejoice. No matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, you will rejoice. See, that worked. Let's pray.